my son told me on my way out of the bench, um, don't talk so fast this time. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but little does he know that that's actually kind of my strategy here this morning because I've got a little bit of a problem. I feel like in engineering, the, you know that a design is done when it's not that you can't add anything more, but you can't take anything out. I feel this morning like I've gotten everything added in, but I might have more than I should, and maybe I haven't started taking things back out that don't belong yet. So bear with me here. We're going to try to move quickly. Um, this morning, we're starting a three-sermon three series on leading up to Christmas um, along the theme of this morning is um, expectation and preparation, and ones will follow on journey and, and journeying. And then the final one is seeking and finding. This morning we're going to look real quickly at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist, and then also a little bit, we'll pull in um, a couple of scriptures, a little bit of scripture of the foretelling of the birth of Jesus to Mary. And while I was in the back, I heard the men's class uh, reading over the verses, so hopefully we don't have too much duplication and, and there's thoughts that have not yet been expressed yet this morning. Um, interesting here this morning, I find it interesting to note that most um, came to church here this morning um, with one or more expectations. Some with the expectations of participating in Sunday school, perhaps teaching, perhaps some expecting a lunch, a dinner after the message. And uh, how, how many came prepared to pinch hit and give a message? Josh did. Woo! That, that brownie points here. Um, uh, at, at Gary's funeral on uh, Friday, um, Josh, before the service, Josh asked, who's, who's doing the graveside? I said, well, I know this. I'm not expecting or prepared. And it's kind of interesting. We go through life expecting and preparing for four things that will take place. We prepare based on how we understand our responsibilities and the expectation of what's going to unfold. Like I mentioned, there's a meal planned for after the service. There is planning and preparation that has happened as a result of that expectation, and we're grateful for that. I'm stepping down on a limb here, and by show of hands, we can conclude that Ruby did not prepare a message for this morning. That's not in the cards. I didn't bake a ham or a turkey, or whatever it is that's going to follow. The thing that is interesting is, as I think about the theme of preparation and expectation, typically preparation isn't the focus. Typically, and, and take the meal after the service here, the preparation for the meal isn't the focus. The meal is the focus, and it's kind of even more interesting to realize that that's not the point and purpose or the focus either. It's the fellowship that that provides and gives us. Let's go ahead and read, um, I'm going to try to read quickly here. In Luke 1, um, starting at verse 13 is where we'll pick up, pick up the passage. The, the, the uh, context or the, the part that precedes this is laying out who Zachariah was, who Elizabeth were, their station in life. He was a priest, he was serving in the temple, he was committed to God, he was a, a man of God, but he and his wife did not have children. And so it's in that context that 
Um, actually, I'll skip back in um, verse 11. While he was um, burning incense in the temple, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people." How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Skipping down to verses 24 and 25, after these days, his wife, actually verse 23, when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. And then it goes on and shifts. Let's look here. Yeah, I'm going to just paraphrase this. Then Luke, the passage in Luke shifts to the story of the angel coming to Mary to tell her, you're going to be something that's impossible. You're going to become pregnant with a child. You will give birth to this child. You will name him Jesus. He will be the Savior. And we, we read of Mary's response. And then in verse 39, it says, In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, you are the most blessed of women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. She who has believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. And then it goes on, um, Mary's praise is recorded, and perhaps a bit of prophecy included in that praise, and then Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, then she returned to her home. These are, this is, this is generally a familiar story. This is, we know this, and yet it's still exciting to read it. It's also exciting to think about what if, as, as Ken Ham would say, were you there? What would it be like to be there, to be one of these figures in the story or one of their neighbors? What would, what would be going through your mind as you observe these events, these things that don't have an explanation from an earthly perspective? There's a few things that I, that I want to pull out here for us to take note of this morning. And the first thing here is, it's the obvious one. God wanted his plans made known. He sent an angel 
to both Zechariah and Mary to say, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you have to look forward to. I think it's interesting to note that announcing his plans in advance was probably about as much, uh, it was probably about as much about preparing Zachariah, Elizabeth, and Mary, and Joseph for the impossible, for that in, in, impossible event. It was probably about as much for that as it was preparing them for all that would come after that. You consider, if you consider or imagine, both, well, both John the Baptist and Jesus were extremely impactful in their ministries in different ways. They were both key critical pieces of God's plan. Consider, consider all that John the Baptist became and was. Consider all that Jesus became and was in his ministry and all that, all that he did. Imagine if you were the parent of either of them. First, the circumstances of that immediate preg pregnancy and birth was to use a word that's often overused today, unprecedented and unexpected. But the impact on their lives, on the lives of Zachariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph, would be profound in how friends, family, and neighbors would speak and interact with them. It impacted their lives in tremendous ways, ways that we don't have recorded. And then thinking about their ministries, perhaps even more so as the ministry expanded, their lives would be even more, um, more shaped and, and perhaps upended. The, the, uh, an aspect of God wanting to make his plans known that I want to pull out in context of Zechariah is that Zechariah's response, in a way, was a test in his belief and his readiness to receive. And I think that in that, I think that it's good for us to recognize that the test for accepting God's plans is always now. It's not just yesterday, whether we passed or failed, it's now. Do we believe today, now, what God is giving us as far as his plans and his message? And then what do we do with that acceptance of that? Acceptance has to precede um, preparation and expectation. Missing the mark today does not preclude meeting that mark tomorrow. And I think that we do well to remember that. And especially, especially thinking of Zechariah, consider the beauty and the testimony, and I didn't read the verses. Go read the rest of chapter one. Um, Zechariah's um, praise and prophecy when John was named is beautiful. God used Zechariah and his witness, even though Zechariah may have been mute for nine months as a result of his unbelief. If we don't know the plans that God has, what do we expect and how do we prepare? Now, God's intentions are not secret. He will make known the things we need to prepare for. It's not a guessing game, but I think it's important for us to realize that all the details are not necessarily filled out. We still need to walk in faith every day. 
I just made note of this. Another thing I want to pull out is acceptance precedes preparation. Acceptance results in expectation and preparation follows. Zechariah was not ready to receive that message. Zechariah and Mary were both given the message of expectancy. Here is what will happen. How they received those messages were very different. No one prepares for a snowstorm in Florida in July. If you said, prepare for a snowstorm in July, people would laugh you out of town. We prepare for the things that we expect, the things that are probable to happen. We do do not prepare for the things that never happen. Snowstorm in December, let's run to the grocery store, bill milk, bread, and eggs. Everybody loves French toast. Stormy weather ahead, secure things that are outside. New baby on the way? No, this is not an announcement. You prep a nursery and all the other things that go along with this. Prepare for a volcano eruption? No, not, not around here. Maybe if you lived in Hawaii, near Mauna Loa that erupted this past week. Just imagine you're Zachariah. Just imagine an angel appears to you, startles you, makes you afraid, and says, you and your wife, who's also old, are going to have a child. What's your response? That's not on the list of things that Zechariah expected. It's easy for us to sit here and say, if an angel appeared to me out of the blue, startled me while I'm offering incense, gave me a message... and I'm afraid because it's an angel, and I can tell it's an angel, it's easy for us to say we'd believe right away. I'd like to believe that we would. Bechariah didn't. He was not prepared for the miracle of Elizabeth becoming pregnant. This wasn't, in his view, a possibility. And he wasn't at a point to accept that promise in faith. He asked, how can I know this? And I went and looked up, what does no mean? Because no should, could mean different things to different people, different languages at different times. No means has the the, the no that's used in this context has the context or the, the aspect of to know as a fact, to know that it's a guaranteed thing. Zachariah was looking for proof. How can I know this? How can I be assured that this is actually a thing? Sometimes we approach matters of faith this way, requiring God give us proof of what he asks us or reveals to us and asks us to accept in faith. I think this is a natural response and causes me to respond very much like the centurion, said to Jesus, I believe, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think we do well to remember that. Mary was not prepared, she was also not prepared to be found expecting a child and didn't understand how it could happen. Technically, these things need to exist, technically they do not, therefore, it's actually kind of a rather scientific approach. If you think about it, she asked the angel, how can this be? How? It, it, it's, it's not possible. There's a subtle difference here from give me evidence, how can I know, to the question of, of how. This, this doesn't 
this doesn't make sense. And then she ultimately responded with, may it be done to me according to your words. In looking at the difference between how Zechariah and Mary responded, it's important to note that this isn't a test that Zechariah failed permanently. Yes, he didn't believe the good news the angel brought, but he didn't stay there. This was a part of the process that he needed to go through to, to, pre to prepare for the coming of, yes, his son, who would be known even today as John the Baptist, but also for the coming of the one that John was to, to prepare the way for, Jesus. Zechariah had a journey to take for his heart to be prepared for this gift from God, and that journey happened through nine months of being mute. That's not a journey that I would sign up for. I don't think Zechariah relished it, but when you see where he came out at the other side, God did a work in his heart that I... Zechariah is one of those guys that I would love to talk to and say, what... How did you work through this? What, what went on while you had lots of time to listen, lots of time to meditate, lots of time to pray, and zero ability to speak? Moving on, I'd like to make a few <clears throat> observations about expectation and preparation, kind of what they are, kind of what they are, kind of what they are not. The first thing is kind of what they are not, but also kind of what they are. Expectation and preparation are not static or passive. We see here that Zechariah, when his service was done and he was mute, he was not able to speak, he went home. He went home, he resumed his responsibilities, his duties, he continued to be a husband. And all that went on as part of life up to the birth of John the Baptist. Mary, while she was waiting, went to Elizabeth's house, house, and they interacted and they shared, and we have, we have record of a portion of that. <clears throat> During this period of expectation and preparation for the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, God worked on these individuals. We see that evidenced with Zechariah. We see that in how Mary and Elizabeth interacted. An aspect of that that I've, that I've had to wonder, and again, this is one of those instances where I wish that we could just talk to people and get just a little bit more than we have recorded. How did God continue working in their hearts after the birth of John the Baptist, after the birth of Jesus, after the crucifixion of Jesus in the case of Mary? I wish we had a little window to see what God did in their lives. This speaks of, of process. <clears throat> the nine months that Zechariah was mute, the period, the nine months for the pregnancy to develop and progress, and finally the birth, it's a process that we go through. Sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's not. But it is not, it is not, as we say in the IT world, null, the absence of anything. <clears throat> there is substance there. Even, if they're, even when it doesn't appear so on the outside. The second aspect, or the second thing that I want to pull out here about expectation of preparation, expectation and preparation still contain elements of question. 
Consider Mary and her question, how can this be? She was trusting, yet wondering. Consider Zechariah. The angel told Zechariah, you'll know because one, I'm Gabriel, I'm, the angel, I'm an angel of the Lord, I come into the presence of the Lord, and I'm telling you this. It's so. And on top of that, you'll become mute until all these things take place. There's a sign. First, believe it because I'm telling you. Secondly, believe it because here's a tangible thing that you can put your hands on or um, lips on or, or lips sealed. I'm not sure which. But the how of all these things would take place wasn't answered other than it's God. There is still mystery and question. Zechariah and Mary were told that these things would happen. And I find it interesting to note that even in today's world of science, where we observe things, we measure things, we quantitatively examine and evaluate things, and even in all that we know and understand today, how much remains a mystery. I would actually advocate that much remains a mystery and little is actually known. In, in, a, in a section or in a verse a little bit later on that we actually didn't read, when, um, when John the Baptist was named, it talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth's neighbors and says that they were afraid and wondered at all of these things that were happening. There was question. There was mystery. And it wasn't just Zechariah and Elizabeth that were wondering. It was their neighbors and their, their families as well. Expectation and preparation are not assurances that we will experience the object of the expectation, humanly speaking. The coming of John the Baptist was to make a prepared people ready to hear Jesus, to turn the hearts of people to the Lord in advance of Jesus' coming. Was that completely finished? Was that successful mission accomplished? It was accomplished enough for Jesus to come, but yet that work is still not done today of preparing God's people for Jesus. That is an ongoing thing. Yes, it was completed for Jesus to come, but that is, that's one of those never done, never done activities, never done things. Is our, is our expectation and preparation today ever truly finished? John the Baptist lived to see Jesus come and begin his ministry. He did not see the fulfillment of Jesus' ministry. We don't have record of Zechariah, Elizabeth, or Joseph witnessing the death and resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes God will reveal what we need to expect, and we don't see or experience the fulfillment of that in our mortal life. Sometimes the preparation and expectation is about what it does to ourselves and contributes to God's overall plan rather than satisfying the expectation for us. Expectation and preparation are not diminished by our limited scope of experience. God will carry it out. Consider the prophets 
who foretold of the Messiah's coming, and actually foretold of John's coming. They did not live to see that come to pass, but God did bring it about. In a practical way, expectation and preparation live beyond the one doing the prep. And kind of, kind of along the lines of, um, of what Dave was speaking of this morning in the opening, um, what, what, was the, what was the phrase, the uh, legend living beyond the bio- biography? Yep, build your legacy bigger than your biography. As a tangible evidence of that, we are experiencing, this morning, we will experience that in very real, tangible ways. J.R. Campbell had the vision for what the basement could become. A lot of us remember what the basement was, and it's a far cry from what it is today. And he transformed that into the gathering place that it is for us to fellowship in. Beyond that, J.R. Campbell had the vision to think of how do we need to prepare and expect for things that we don't want to have happen and put in place the insurance that largely covered the renovation of the building after the fire. We expect and we prepare for things. And that expectation and preparation lives beyond what we experience ourselves. Expectation and preparation have a dual focus on the object of that expectation and preparation and on the working out of what we do to expect and prepare. Do you follow? Does that make sense? There's the focus on both the coming, what is expected, but there's also the focus on what are we doing now to prepare for that which is to come. Are we ever ready for the object we prepare for? Anyone who has prepared a message or spoke publicly will tell you that no matter how prepared you are, you are never still quite ready. In life, we prepare for major life events, marriage. We prepare through dating, premarital counseling. And in spite of that, are we ever really prepared for what happens after we say, I do? I'm, I'm going to say no. From my experience, no. We're never really prepared. Yes, we are, and yet we're not. How about the birth of a child? Nope, same thing. Yes, we're prepared, but yet we're not. <clears throat> There's all kinds of things to do to prepare, but nothing quite prepares you for the changes that follow. So in the, in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, it's clear what they were called to expect and prepare for. In the story of John the Baptist and in the story of Jesus, it's clear what they, their part in expectation and preparation. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare, to make ready a prepared people. And as we think about, as we think about um, marking the celebration of Jesus' first coming, that's good to reflect on that. <clears throat> What are we called to expect and prepare for today? Personally and together as a church. As a church, we're working through the process of a name change. What do we expect and how do we prepare for that change and what comes after? This month, we are preparing for Christmas on the calendar. 
and celebrating the birth of Jesus. <clears throat> this month we'll have many activities and items that will need to be accomplished. In the passage this morning, we read of the promise to Zechariah of who and what this child would become. Ultimately, to make ready a prepared people. I believe the principle of preparation and being a prepared people still applies to us today. And expectation and preparation are not limited to looking back and reflecting on Christ's birth to prepare for celebrating that birth in another few weeks. Our expectation and preparation is beyond yearly calendar events. Yesterday, we recognized the life of Gary Burlingame. He lived a life knowing Jesus as his Savior and expected and prepared to be united with Jesus in heaven. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know the promise that Jesus gave his disciples. John 14 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You, be you believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going back there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you, may, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And in reading that, the phrase that sticks out to me is that you also may be where I am. That's the point. <clears throat> and, and, <clears throat> excuse me. And this is, this is the ultimate event that we are to expect and prepare for. To prepare for the second coming even more than how we reflect on and expect the celebration of his first coming. May we let that expectation and certainty of God's promise, of Jesus' promise, direct what we do and how we prepare even more so than how we prepare for, his, for celebrating his first coming. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just pray this morning that as we think of, think of your um, first coming, your birth, and as we think of how we expect, expect and prepare for um, the, the things, the normal things here on earth, Father, that, that you would prompt us for how to expect, expect and prepare for you spiritually and for your second coming. And Father, that that would direct our activities and what we do and how we prioritize things, the, the, earthly, the earthly apparatus of life. Father, I just pray that that would shape what we put first in life. In your name I pray, amen. <clears throat>